Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy Atino. Today is Friday, March 19th. And guess who's back on the show with us today? That's right. It's Mike Bartolotta, third week in a row. I think we're going to just change the name of this to On Markets with Mike, Remy, and Tino. Uh, seems like Mike's becoming a permanent fixture, but we're glad to have him. If you have any questions or comments about the show, or maybe you just want to hear us talk about something in particular, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at comments at onmarkets.com. Tino, why don't you get us started? What's going on in the market this week? Well, uh, relatively speaking, kind of a boring week uh, when we've had a couple of roller coasters already. But uh, look, we're starting to see some of the growth stocks, technology stocks rebound a little bit. Fed had a meeting on Wednesday. Uh, you know, not not a ton of news out of there, although the market responded well to it. So um, I think it's kind of business as usual. We're, we're just trying to figure out how the um, how the market and and how our economy is going to handle the 1.9 trillion in stimulus coming its way and. Um, and investors certainly have a lot of questions around that and taxes and other, a lot of other issues that have been coming up. So, so Tino, my, my favorite story that I saw this week that I'm sure you've seen already is that, um, in Tesla's new SEC filings, that, that, that Elon's new title is now Techno King. Yeah. And I this, saw that too. And, and the CFO title has been changed to Master of Coin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, how lame are these guys? I mean, what what, what was that show on HBO? The um, I can't remember the name. Game of, of Thrones. Right. Thank you, Game, yeah, of, Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, they, um, you know, he can kind of do whatever he wants. The SEC seems to give him a hall pass for whatever he wants to do. So why not change your title to something completely absurd? Uh, I mean, I just think he's like a couple of years late on the Master of Coin thing. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's like uh, you're ten years too late for this to be cool. Yeah, it would have been way cooler if we did it five years ago. Well, there's the theory now that the master of coin also has to do with Bitcoin because they invested, you know, what was it, 1.5 billion, something like that, in other treasury into uh, Bitcoin back in January. So, yeah. Speaking of Bitcoin, I also saw that uh, the Oakland A's now are accepting Bitcoin. You can buy a season ticket for one Bitcoin. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, uh, like a club seat. That's normally, and it's weird because there's some arbitrage there. I think the club seats sell for like fifty-three or fifty-four thousand dollars in a, in a, or they sell for sixty-four thousand in a Bitcoin. It sells for fifty-three or something. I don't remember. There's some weird arbitrage there. It's about a ten thousand dollar difference, but you can get it for one Bitcoin. The thing is, it just depends on the hour of the day that you look. I mean, Tino, you and I were talking maybe last Friday, I think it was, and Bitcoin was at about 54,000 and it had been rising for the past week because a week earlier it was down to 45 grand and it had been rising up. And I sent Tino a, a text and I said, hey, I've been watching Bitcoin sort of quietly creep up over the past week and I think it might hit, hit 60. And that was Friday. Saturday, I think I texted you Tino and it was at 61 grand. Um, and I'm looking at it right now and it's down to 57 and change. So, I mean, I don't even understand how anybody can accept Bitcoin as a currency. The, the value fluctuates, you know, constantly. Any given day, it's worth significantly more or less than the previous day. That's the problem. If you think about a currency, you've got to have some stability in the value. I mean, sure, they can go up and down like the US dollar, or the euro or the franc, but uh, to, to have that type of variability. I mean, if I buy a, you know, let's simplify it. If I buy a cup of coffee for whatever, how many Satoshis or a Bitcoin, whatever it may be, by the time that merchant turns that in, converts it into a dollar, it, it could be worth to your point, 20 or 30% more or less than 
what they accepted. So if you're running a business, I don't necessarily know how you do this. I, I think this is a publicity stunt to a certain degree. Uh, I think the Tesla accepting Bitcoin to buy cars, which they're talking about doing in a couple months, uh, I, I, I think it's like it's just nothing more than to get a little bit of attention, and it's it's a little bit of a gimmick to me. At some point, will this thing stabilize? I mean, that's what it, I was yeah. gonna say too. Like, what is required? for Bitcoin or any crypto to stabilize, to be considered a legitimate currency? Well, a couple of things. You need more network effects. I mean, that that's it's a chicken egg type situation. You need more people to accept Bitcoin as a currency for it to become a currency. That is a difficult thing to do. I think another problem you have, though, is frankly, there's a limited supply. I mean, I think one of the reasons why fiat currencies like the US dollar is so widely used is because it's not tied to anything other than the full, you know, full faith of the U.S. government. You can print more money, I guess, is my point. So to 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 have something like a Bitcoin become a currency, there's there's got to be some way to uh, to to kind of stabilize that through the mechanism of creating more when it's needed. Otherwise, it's just going to turn into gold, which is one of the reasons why, in many ways. Uh, our economy didn't grow the way it was today back when we were on the gold standard is because we couldn't print more gold. So, you know, th th there's a long way, there's a way before we get to there. It took the U.S. dollar eight decades to get to where it is today. I'm not saying Bitcoin's going to overtake the dollar, but for it to become a, a, a viable currency, that's got to get the volatility down, but it goes back to that chicken or egg type situation. Plus the security of any of these cryptos for a platform that constantly sort of touts itself on on how secure it is, it's not very secure. I mean, every 15 minutes, somebody's being hacked and some sort of crypto is being stolen. Now, you alluded to it a few weeks ago when we were talking about Mt. Gox. I mean, that was an extreme example of it, but I feel like I constantly hear about platforms being hacked and, you know, a couple million here, a couple million there, you know, 50 million here, 100 million there is getting stolen all the time. You know, you say that, I mean, Coinbase is uh, filed to go public and their S1 doc, which is what you file, give to, which you kind of give to the SEC when you want to go public. One of their material risks was uh, not just regulation, but theft. And they point out that to your point, I mean, it, it still is a bit of a Wild West scenario. So, you know, you, you go back to why are currencies used? Why is the U.S. dollar used for 80 percent of world trade? It's because people trust the dollar. It's not going anywhere. If if I'm doing a transaction, I, I believe that that dollar is going to retain its value. I also believe that it's not going to get stolen if I keep it in my Bank of America account or Chase or JP Morgan, whatever it may be. Whereas these digital wallets, as you know, Remy, I mean, these things are um, not secure. And then to do it properly, to keep it cold storage or offline, you really then really need to know what you got to do and you got to protect it and keep it safe. And it's inefficient. I, I can't be walking around with a hard drive in my back pocket to, you know, pay for a, that cup of coffee that you want to get. No, because it's completely inefficient. And, uh, and I, look, I mean, we haven't even addressed the fact that there are other cryptos out there. You know, what, what makes Bitcoin any more valuable or more important than Ethereum or Ripple or the other 19 currencies out there? Or for that matter, how many times have we seen Bitcoin kind of split in two, right? Where you've got Bitcoin Cash and regular Bitcoin, and then it splits into another version of, of, of the crypto, that all of these unknowns out there, not to mention the fact that the regulators might not like this. I mean, look what's going on right now in India this week. India is uh, uh, putting legislation up to basically ban the use of cryptocurrencies, and you'll go to jail if you mine them or try to collect them. Now, I don't know if it's going to get passed or not, but if it does, I mean, India is a pretty big market. 
How do they regulate it? How do they enforce it? I don't know. But if other countries follow suit, watch out. What will that do maybe to the value? I mean, if that goes through, the value instantly plummet. So I was going to say, maybe maybe time to sell that Bitcoin. It, it, it could certainly impact it. I mean, I, I guess what will, uh, my guess what would happen is other countries would watch to see if it actually worked. It, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, with the way the technology works, it is distributed. It's tough to kind of shut down, but you can make it very difficult. I mean, in the US, if, again, there's a lot of smart money, a lot of really smart people in Washington lobbying for cryptocurrencies, but you know, the government at any point, they might just say, you know what, we can't control this thing, so we're not going to allow it. I mean, isn't it, alre- isn't it already difficult to use as a currency? I mean, if I want to pay for something with Bitcoin, I, I don't even know what to do. No, you, you, yeah, you really have to know what to do. And I think that's part of the issue too, is, is you know, there's, a, there's a, quite a bit of a, a learning curve. And that'll come down over time. I mean, if you look at like Robinhood or, or for that matter, PayPal, some of these other uh, online merchants are starting to accept Bitcoin and you'll be able to, for that matter, some of the custodians now are looking into being able to custody cryptocurrencies. I mean, we'll get there, but I mean, this is years away. And I think the volatility would probably come down over time. But uh, right now, in my mind, it's just pure speculation. And what's odd is I can open up my Chase app, whatever you use, Bank of America, it doesn't really matter. And I can pay for something with the app right now, right? I can transfer money to one of you guys with a few clicks of a button. I can pay my bills online. I can do whatever I want. It's, it's easy. But for some for some reason, the crypto world, it's not easy to get these things done. It's just not simple. There's no standard for it. There's no simple way for me to say, okay, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, buy, um, uh, what was it? What were you talking about? The season tickets for what? Uh, the the uh, Oakland A's. The Oakland, Oakland A's. A's. Yeah. If I want to buy those season tickets, it's not like I just open up my app and just say purchase and I'm done. I have to transfer money and I have to transfer it to a secure wallet and you know, I have to know that whoever the secure wallet is, I have to know whatever their, their wallet ID is, which is a 7 million digit encryption key. It's just not easy. You know, so, so until it's easy to get the cryptocurrency and it's easy to trade the cryptocurrency, I don't see how there's going to be any trust or stabilization in the value of the cryptocurrency. And herein lies the problem of creating a currency from scratch. It's you know, right now. It still really is early adopters. It's tech, technology gurus, uh, people that you know love the idea of Bitcoin. It's just not being used as a currency. I mean, yeah, you've got a couple people. But was it back in 2014? I think where they were buying Domino's pizzas with with Bitcoin. And now I think they did a statistic like a pizza back then for oh, for what was twenty bucks today is worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, so um, which would not be fun if you actually bought one of those pizzas, but. Uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get widespread adoption until you're right. You make it a little bit easier to use a little bit quicker to transact. Uh, and that is, I just don't see how that's going to happen anytime soon. Now, the flip side of that is by the time it's up and running and it is easy to use, maybe these Bitcoins are worth a couple million dollars. So it's another way of looking at it. Now, I would think that based on the currency use case of of crypto and what we've been seeing lately with the sort of NFT use case of crypto, if I'm the U.S. government, I mean, why would I not just take every single U.S. dollar, $5, $10, $20 bill, whatever, just assign a NFT smart contract to it 
and just burn all the paper money and we just go to a digital currency that's based off of the US dollar or I shouldn't even say based off the US dollar. It is the US dollar at that point. Yeah. I mean, well, China's playing around with that right now. Yeah, they they have a digital currency that they're they're testing out right now. That might be the future. I mean, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Again, as long as I can, you know, print more print more coins, which I don't think would be. I don't understand the technology behind that. I can't imagine that'd be too difficult. Then that might be the direction we're heading. Because look, paper money is a problem. Think about it from a tax perspective. Uh, illegal activity. People talk about how illegal activity is done through Bitcoin, and it is to a degree. But if you could create a digital national currency. You could track every dollar moving around, and that effectively shuts down a lot of the corrupt behavior that that we're seeing in the tax evasion, all of it. Can you imagine how bad people would freak out, though? I mean, I cannot imagine the the, the public outcry that you would hear if they literally try to digitize all of our money. And people freak out when they talk about getting rid of pennies. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a ways away. Well, look about what I mean. What was it? I forgot what decade it was when they came around and basically said, "Give us all your gold." You know, they, they, they took the country off the gold standard and they tried to collect all the gold. And what do people do? They buried it in their backyard. They said, come find it. It'll be interesting to see if, if China can successfully launch a national digital currency. And if they do, what the repercussions that will be and what the adoption would be outside of China at that point. You know, that's the irony about China is that they'll probably end up being more successful than we will if we, in that initiative, because they can just tell people, look, this is what you're going to do and you're going to like it. So uh, that, that's not going to really fly over here, uh, not just politically, but also just because we're a free country. So I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what China does with this. Um, China has tried to get their called paper currency uh, to become more of an international standard over the past called you know eight to ten years. It's been uh, called unsuccessful for a number of reasons, uh, but I, I think to because there's two different issues here. There's one creating a digital currency. The other issue is how do you get other people to use it outside of your country? And when you're manipulating your currency, and they, we're assuming they'll manipulate the digital currency as well, then it makes it very difficult for anybody else to really want to use for international trade or just for reserve currencies, things of that nature. Because you, you, if the market's not determining what the value of that currency is to a degree, then um, you, you can't put much trust behind it. I feel like this podcast is becoming the uh, crypto crypto podcast. It really is. We we sort of end up there. Actually, this week we started there. Yeah. So let's switch it up a little bit. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I've been reading quite a bit over the past week about this trend towards a four day work week. Ha- have you seen this? I have actually. Yeah. What do you think? Thought it was an, an interesting topic. You know, I could see it happening. If I want to um, work less, I'll move to Europe. You know, maybe not anytime soon, but. I feel like every time we turn around, there's uh, another holiday or another month dedicated to something. Um, it just seems to be the way that we're we're headed with things. You know, we want um, we want our lives to be easier, and we want to work less, and we want stuff for nothing. And uh, four day work week. I mean, I, is there any reason we have a five? I guess it used to be a six day work week, right? I have no idea. That was uh, that was before my time, I guess. But what I find interesting about this is that you know, due to COVID, we've already been somewhat forced to implement uh, remote working conditions, right? So you've already got a lot of firms that have instituted some sort of remote capabilities. You know, now you've got a trend towards a four-day work week as well. So, I mean, you combine these two things and it's like, you know, you're only working four days, you're working from home. Uh, You know, is this realistic? 
And to be fair, I mean, there was definitely a trend towards remote work anyhow, which clearly was accelerated due to COVID. So, so now that's sort of, you know, I don't want to say a, a requirement, but, but I think that when most people are looking um, for employment, I, I think it's something they're asking about, you know, on a more regular basis anyways. And, and now we're talking about a four-day work week as well. So I, you know, I'm always interviewing people for the practice here, right? I, I, I try to keep a pipeline of, of potential, you know, candidates, you know, alive just in case we need to, to fill a role. And I interviewed somebody about a week ago. And one of the questions that she asked me it was the first time I'd heard it was, how do you handle work-life balance? And I, I didn't, I, I, I said, you mean me personally? I mean, I didn't even understand that she was asking me as a potential employee, how I was to help her manage her work-life balance. But it is the stuff that people think about now, right? It's it was just it was weird. I, it, the question to me it came out of nowhere, and I just I would never think to ask somebody that. Uh, of course, I'm older, right? I, you know, I come from a different time, so I don't know. How much of that is, do you think is generational versus how much of that is sort of an unexpected consequence of of COVID? You know, I would have said generational probably if this had happened a year ago, but this was someone who was probably forty-ish. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't a, a kid right out of school. Um, and it was somebody who was, I mean, this was a, a real candidate. This wasn't, you know, a goofball. This was somebody who, who you know, had good credentials that asked this question. And it was someone that was had been in the, in the workforce for a number of years. So I guess my answer to that question would be, I would, I think a lot more that it might have something to do with the whole COVID thing than I would have thought a year ago. So this is somewhat of a loaded question because there's so many variables to take into consideration, uh, not the least of which is the industry you're in and you know, either the product or the service that you're providing. Uh, but that being said, do you think it's realistic to start, build, and grow a business when a large portion of your employees are looking to work remotely? You know, I, I personally think that it adds a lot of challenges that you don't need to add to a business, especially a small business that already faces a lot of challenges. Um, is Can it be done? Probably. And I think it's less to do with, uh, you know, I think people think that if someone's working remotely, you know, they're not going to work, right? There's all kinds of um, things where you can install, you know, keyboard trackers and you can track people by how often they move their mouse and things like that to make sure that they're working. But I think people that are going to work are going to work whether they're home or whether they're in the office. So I think it's less about that and more about personal interaction and camaraderie and feeling different about, you know, your job and, and interacting with other people and, and the social aspect of it. I just think that if you take the, you really take the social aspect out of, out of work, you know, if you're working remotely. And I, I just don't think that that's a good thing. So do you think it's more realistic to run a four day work week than to run a five day work week with a heavier concentration of remote employees? That's a good question. I think if you... And I'd never thought about it, but I think if you stuck a gun to my head and made me make a choice, I would go for the four-day work week with people present in one office. I, I, I just, I, you know, again, maybe it's my age, uh, but I, I like the idea of, I mean, I don't want to work at home. You know, I want to be around people. I want to, I want to, I want to feel like I'm part of something that uh, I want to get a sense of accomplishment out of what I'm doing. And I, and I want to be able to share that with other people. And I think most people feel that. I don't know if they know it or not, but I do think most people feel that. I've been around a lot of people that work remotely, um, just based on previous experiences. Um, 
I spent a, a year traveling all over the world with a group of people who were all working remotely. Um, it's, I think I, I saw sort of the the full spectrum of people who didn't really matter what they were doing, where they were, you know, what the situation was. They got up, they went to work every single day. It didn't matter what, you know, what was going on on around them. And, um, you know, it was not an issue at all. You know, I saw other people that, you know, within a week, you know, weren't doing any work at all and ended up getting fired from whatever jobs they were at. But I think what I've noticed the most is it's the, the people that really enjoy whatever their job happens to be tend to be very successful at remote work because they like doing it. Right. So it's, you know, it's, everything's work. You always have to do something that you don't want to do necessarily, but you know, if overall you enjoy what, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, it's not a chore. It's not, it's not something that that you dread to, you know, wake up and I have to do this and everybody else is out having fun or I could be watching TV or whatever it is that people want to do. You know, people, they don't have that thought. They they wake up and go, you know what? Um, Yeah, maybe, you know, I could be doing this, but it's not really that big a deal because I love what I do anyways. And I'm going to keep doing it and I'll do whatever else that I want to do after I'm done with work. Uh, but it's the people with, you know, it's the people that are that are working specifically for a paycheck and, and no other reason, you know, those people struggle because they really don't want to do whatever they're doing. And, you know, there's, you know, they don't have anybody that's that's looking over them to make sure that they're, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And to your point, it's not like they're in an office where, you know, maybe they don't really like the the job or the work, but, you know, they like the, the aspect that they are, you know, around people that they enjoy being around or, you know, as you put it, the camaraderie. So they don't have that either. So it sort of all falls apart with those types of people, I think. Yeah, listen, I think you could take either side of it, right? When I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it as we're, this isn't a topic I plan on talking about today. I don't think you did either. Um, but, so I just made a case for, I think, you know, I want people, I would like to work in an office with other people. But then I think, you know, I, I've traveled a fair amount for work and I've always been based on the, I've always lived on the East Coast. But when I think about when I've traveled to the West Coast and I've been there for an extended period of time, you know, I never, you know, you get up early because your your body clock doesn't change. So I'm up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning or something. And I would always try to arrange my work so that I can get as much done early in the day as I possibly could so that I can, you know, sort of enjoy the rest of the day. And every single time I've done that, I felt like, wow, I get so much more done not being around people because, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, what I saw on TV last night or, or whatever it happens to be. You know, I'm focused on work. I get a bunch done. I feel a great sense of accomplishment having done it. And I always go, wow, I, this is what I should do. I should move to the West Coast or I should move to Hawaii, you know, where I've got this great time shift and I can work for four or five hours in the morning with people on the East Coast and, and get all this extra time at the end of the day. and get, get so much more done between the time shift and between, you know, not having to deal with all of the, the distractions of being in an office. So I see it both ways. Yeah, it's just like anything else, I guess. You know, it's it's heavily dependent on the person. And in this case, I really do think it's heavily dependent on the industry. You know, I've, I've really noticed that certain industries tend to attract uh, people who really love their job and, and love what they do versus others that seem to attract somebody who, who really, you know, just needs a job for whatever reason. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for liking what you're doing, right? And like I was just saying, I, I interview people all the time. And one of the things people, you know, people ask, you know, what are you looking for? And I always, I never quite know how to answer that, but I always say, I, I want, I want you to want to be here. I want people that want to have to accomplish something. I want people that, that, that are proud to work here, that, that like their job. I don't know how to get that, but, but it really is what I want because people that like what they're doing, 
you know, do a better job. They enjoy it and they're, and they're enthusiastic about it and they're more fun to be around and you, you just feel better about it. Yeah, so I'm a, a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I'm going to quote Mike Tomlin here, who's known for a lot of his uh, quirky quotes. But but to quote Mike Tomlin, you know, we want volunteers, we don't want hostages, right? And I think that's a good quote. That's a great quote. I never heard that before. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC, and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representations or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.